I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast, The Relationship with the Potato Crop in Ireland. Just last week, the Irish Potato Federation were proud to host the World Potato Congress in North County, Dublin. And to mark the occasion, I've selected some interviews from our archive that will illustrate the importance the potato had here in this country down through the years. So let's get started. Tom Maher was appointed to the post of Potato Crop Specialist by the Department of Agriculture and Food. And I first asked him why he was so interested in the potato crop. Why the potato crop? Well, I suppose going through UCD, I was um, interested, as I say, particularly in all crops. And I was, you know, there's always been a kind of, I suppose, within the Irish people, a kind of a psychic about the social end of potatoes. And, you know, I, we would have been always interested at home, everything about potatoes. But as my life went by, uh, I just uh, became more and more specialised in potatoes until in 1988 I was appointed a national potato specialist and of course I had nothing at all then, uh, only potatoes. Whereas in the years before that I would have been dealing with some other crops like you know maybe peas or beans or what, whatever else. What uh, area did you cover? Well as a national specialist I covered the country. Potato crop is interesting, isn't it? In in in, in you know with the blight uh, that that can destroy the crop in 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 in, in a very short time. Oh yes, sure. The blight uh, came to Ireland in eighteen in eighteen forty five. The first recording of blight in Ireland was in the Botanic Gardens on the twentieth of August, uh, eighteen forty five. What brought the blight? It came in the air. It came in the air from the. Uh, it came from the. Uh, it came of course from, from Mexico, first across to Spain, up through uh, Holland and Belgium, and across to the Isle of Wight in the south of England. And the the next recording of it, they feel that it then came to Waterford and came up along to Leinster. Uh, but the first official recording, uh, it was in the Botanic Gardens, as I say, by the curator of the Botanic Gardens at the time, who wrote in his notebook on the 20th of August, I feel we have got uh, the black scourge that they have in the Isle of Wight. That's, what he, he, that's how he referred to the blight, like, you know. The people generally at living at that time... <clears throat> Uh, in small farms, small little little hovels, yes. really. And the hovels you talk about, and the smaller farmers, the potato did everything for them. It fed the humans, it fed the pig they'd have, if they had poultry, it fed the poultry, if they happened to have a calf or a cow, it fed those. So, like, their whole life revolved around this potato, and they might only have it one acre of it. Now, so, 
to give you an, an example of how important the potato crop was to the vast majority who were living in hobbits at the time, that outside the door of the hobbits, they would have this very large heap of manure. Now, this would be animal manure, human manure, whatever, poultry manure. And the potato crop got uh, all of this manure. So they looked after the potato crop, you know, with loving care. TLC kind of a job. Now, the variety they had most of the time was one called lumper. There was four varieties, but lumper was the main variety. And 90% of people were living in this variety of lumper. And to compare with today that you're talking about, with all that love and attention and care that they gave the potato crop, they got a yield of six tonnes. Today, the farmer gets 16 without without trouble and then sometimes we get 20 and so on but you can take it it's 6 to 16 despite all the care and attention they gave and that is due to breeding new varieties and breeding varieties today that are so disease resistant um, so when we talk about change there is a major change from 1845 to the present day like many years ago while I was collecting stories up along the west coast of Ireland I visited a farmer in West County Clare and he had known two bachelor men who were born just after the famine. We're talking to Eddie Welsh uh, just outside Middletown Malbay in a place called Cahardouf, a lovely spot indeed. But continue, you, you told me that you had two, two friends growing up. Yeah. Uh, and and they, they were old men when, yeah, when you old. were young. Yeah. But they wouldn't go much at all. Although one of them bought them, came here into the house, I remember them. Old James Hunley, Jack's father, and Patsy, Patsy Daly. Oh, they, they were born there in the famine. I'd go, they sit down there, start up with their stories about what they would eat. Mostly spuds and salt milk they would have. They'd eat it three times a day. They were very, very sound people. And Bridget Burke from Clare Morris County Mayo remembers the attention that was given to the growing of the potato crop. That, no, that was the field where you had the crops. But then where you had the garden, where the cabbage was sowed, where all the vegetables were sowed, and the early potatoes, was one beautiful garden with four stone walls for heat and shelter. Mm-hmm. And the, everything you saw there grew. But then there was nothing ever used. They wouldn't put, they, the old people would not put fertilizer on their potatoes. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't because the potatoes would be watery. Just the stable manure. Yeah. Just yeah. the stable manure and mold them over then. Yeah. And there wasn't, well, you see, then there was only, they used to call it Joanna that time for fertilizer. That was the name. And it used to come in 200 weight bags and that used to be if you had very bottom land and if it was if it was inclined to grow rushes you put on the joanna and the joanna would nourish the grass to come up and the rush wouldn't come <laughs> yes i see oh, they were great yeah mary clifford from Ballyhigh in north county kerry remembers drawing the seaweed from the beach and using it as manure. The seaweed from the beach, use that? Uh, a lot of the local people here would go down and collect it, but was, was there a great fight to get this? Yeah, if it were before me, you'd have it marked. 
And I couldn't go near the thing because you had the beach. You have the the beach. The beach of Sebuid, Mert. But the Sebuid was for everyone. You shouldn't mark it. Because I had as much tempted as you, it was from the tide. Do you understand? And all the the farmers and the small farmers around you take the seaweed. You know, it was a great menu, like, you know, great for the the mangoes and the potatoes and things like that. And then they had the farmyard menu for the... Just said uh, the spots that used they used to eat, you know, because the spots out of the seaweed would be wet, and the pigs got them, and the fowl, and that was the way they were doing the farming. And Mary spent many a day out on the field, setting the crop, and later picking it. I was twenty, oh, twenty-five years that time, and my father got sick, but I dug the most of them. Who dug them? I stuck him first, and there was a man living next door, Stephen Flat, and he was come out talking to us. Well, for your size and weight, he says, there's no better than you. You were all them ridges, such, you stuck him, and you dug him. And I did. There was a half an acre and a half quart of ground. Irish measure. Yes. And I went, you know? Yeah. And my brother used to dig a little bit, and there was a man next door. He gave two bits a day of digging, but if it was all put together, I dug a half acre. You know, we said they dug the other the, the little bit. It wasn't it awful work to dig them. It was indeed. Go out in the morning at half past nine and come in home at half past four. Half past four. <laughs> the evening. <laughs> Stay out all day digging spots and come the next day and pick him with my sister. But that awful hard work. That was a long, hard day. Many a small farmer in Donegal used to have homemade baskets that used to double up for carrying both the turf and the potato crop. Anne MacDonald, here in Churchill, what was your maiden name? My maiden name? Mm-hmm. Uh, Harley, Annie Harley. And where did you come from originally? Glendoon. How far away is Glendoon? Glendoon would be about, uh, well, uh, four miles would take you to... Glendon, and I, from where I live here, my old home would be about six miles. And did you come from a farming background? I did indeed, a small farmers, as they were aware in those days. How many of you were there? Ten. Oh, where did you come in? I was third, and number three. Okay, the third so... third girl, yeah. And there were seven boys followed me. And a small farm. Yeah. And we had ten of us on that small farm. We carried the turf on creels. Yeah. Of course they did, and the basket, the big baskets, a basket even big enough to uh, to uh, help to gather up the potatoes when they'll be digging the potatoes in the field, or to bring in the turf to the kitchen, bring in a small amount of turf mm. for children. Yeah, they were very interesting, they were beautiful. Weren't they? And, and you know, everything was so carefully taught out and, and everything was and carefully done, yeah. taught out and, and, and the road the rods for the quail of course they would have them on their own land from West Donegal Seamus McHugh from Garta Hawk remembers the local people including his father heading for Scotland uh, during the season of potato picking to Scotland many years to work over there because did there, he? oh yes. he did yeah because there was no work here there was no money and he would migrated to, to the farming in uh, East Lothian. Did he ever talk about that? Oh, he talked 
extent, it'll be about it, you know. Everybody, all, all the men around here went over there. And some of the women went over as well to work on the potato fields, you know. They would leave here in the, in the uh, springtime mm-hmm. and work over there during the summer and into the autumn and come back in the wintertime. Some would stay over there if they didn't have any family commitments at home. They stayed over there for maybe one, two, three or four years, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, with some uh, the women, a lot of them worked at the potatoes and some at gutting fish, you know, the herring gutters, you know, and the fishing ports over there, you know, just with a knife as fast as you can, filleting mackerel or whatever. And from Kinmare in South Kerry, Tom O'Connor remembers the time when the Department of Agriculture came up with a scheme to grow early potatoes. There was one occasion right, when they came up with a scheme that we grow early potatoes and some people from the, the, the department came down and I tried to grow maybe a couple of acres or an acre of early potatoes that would be sent out to the towns and cities, but it wasn't a great success by me. You know, it was, they were, they were kind of comparing our area with that of West Cork there, Alleys and, and, and the other places further down that they could grow. Yeah. Ter- they could, the climate is so early, it could be so good like. And Tom also remembers how difficult the work was in the fields. And the tradition of storing the potatoes in a pit. It is troublesome work. Because in what way now? You will even the planting, you might plant them in a few days, but when it comes to the digging them out, which will be in October, you will start with a spade and you could spend the month digging out the potatoes, picking them up into little bags, put them in a pit for the winter and cover it with straw and, and things so extremely laborious. The same applied to the the other the root crops the the bee, the mangles and the beet and that they were extremely yeah. troublesome. Uh, why were the potatoes put into a pit? Because I felt that they could uh, I I I just they could mature there maybe in a pit better, but they, you put straw around them so that they could uh, you know they would get air and all that like you know, and uh, but they were in every <laughs> to the big job like the <coughs> digging the place in October, you know. And Mary Kyle from Allenwood in County Kildare also recalls that same tradition having the pit of potatoes and I don't ever remember rats eating them but like I can visualize my father and the big pit and uh, today people will say clods of grass but back then we call them scraws big great big squares of thick grass cut and laid over the potatoes and the farmers from Fingal usually managed to get two crops in the one year and Pod Flynn recalls how that was done. It was all it was all potatoes. Year uh, two crops, uh, potatoes and maybe carrots or cauliflowers. After the potatoes, two crops a year, year in year out for hundreds of years. 
it's black sand. But down there near the tide, it's white sand, and it's not quite so good. You know, it doesn't. It, it's holes now. There's nothing in it. It's too light. So it, it, the area that we're in here is just perfect for growing. You can grow crops continuous. There's no for hundreds of years. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is warmer. Now this is out here. It's clay land, and the sa- the sandy soil heats up two or three degrees quicker. And you're going for earliness. But this last, since we joined the common market and all the imports coming in, um, early stuff is not appreciated now, the same as it used to be. Was there a season for everything? There was. There was a season for everything. Mm. There's early carrots. The turnips and the parsnips and the late carrots were for the winter. Sprouts were for the winter. Thyme and parsley was all the year round and sage. That was an all the year round crop. Mary Leonard grew up on a farm in Rush in Fingal, just down the road from Pod Flynn, and was related to him. But she had a very good knowledge of how the season went. Yes, well, yeah, I always had early yeah. potatoes in Rush because they have nice sandy soil down there, yeah. early ground they call it. It's not clay, it's kind of a loam. It's a mixture of clay and sand. Yeah. And some people had early ground. And did people come from England across to purchase? To buy them, yes. yeah. There was an uncle of mine, um, his nickname was Buff McGuinness. His, his proper name was William, but his name was Buff. And he was an agent for these... For, for the agents? For, for the, he was, an, he was an agent a buyer for the agents yeah. for to, come up, to buy your potatoes and my potatoes and all that. And then they were all shipped across. Mm-hmm. Had to be loaded on lorries and brought to the boats and shipped across to, to England. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And they used to come, the fellas out of the department used to come and they used to put a, um, it was like a little round a a tag on it. A tag, tag on it with, with a, a little presser that they were passed for export. Yeah, I remember that happening. I know, and I, yeah. a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but that uh, it just goes to show the value of the of the crop there, mm. and, and yeah. how, how how much it was appreciated yeah. abroad. Yeah. One year, I was in the fields. I don't know. I never went to the fields very often. I would bring them their tea and their dinner. Like I drove the car, and I'd maybe they wouldn't come home for dinner. You'd bring them up sandwiches and a big three quart can of tea or something, or flasks of tea or whatever. And um, remember this year anyway, it got stuck in the, in the there was a, an acre of potatoes dug and there was an acre of cabbage put in by the following evening with a spade and dropping them after it. A man making this thing and you dropping the cabbage after it. And my father stood back in the headland and he said, isn't that a great day's work now? We grew vegetables and, and potatoes and they were a, a, a useful money spinner, you know. We had local... Yeah. People, we sold them locally, you know, Ballyboden and Rathfarnham and that kind of thing. So we did that for years, 20 years at least. Patrick Lombard on the Dublin Mountains was another uh, big potato crop grower and he supplied the shops locally. But he explained that um, as soon as the spraying started, it was a game changer. Well, the potatoes and the spraying that time and it also revealed that 
uh, potatoes that are sprayed and lived the full length of their life. When it came to cooking, we had good potatoes, floury potatoes. So we made a point ever after of spraying, keeping them living as long as they could. And uh, we could sell spuds all the year round if we had them. Once people knew you had a good potato, you were welcome to anybody's mm-hmm. house, you know. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we'd stole potatoes for about 20 years down the road. Yeah. And you could go back again with them, like, you know. I, I meet people still there. <laughs> they call me the potato. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the name? Uh, well, more or less, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what kind of potato were you growing? Well, there were Carrots Pinks were the, were the top of the mark at that time, and uh, British Queens. Now, uh, when we were just about to, to change over, we, were, we had to cut down our, our tillage crop and make room for more cows because, uh, you know, the, the, when you were in cows at all, uh, it might as well be in more rather than less. So we were going out of the potato growing when the new rooster potatoes came in. And I think they were the greatest revolution in potato growing ever. Who oh, introduced those? Uh, they were bred in Carlo. In a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a Department of Agriculture have a... Uh, place down there for plant breeding and they developed the roots of potato and it was the greatest and I was talking to a shopkeeper lately and he said 70% of the spuds he sells now are roosters My last visit is to Tipperary and Portro in Nina where I visited the farm of Bridget Malone where she spent all her life and she recalls the many days of uh, being out in the fields, um, digging the potato crop. But now she had some interesting words to say about life as it is. But it was a different life. It was a different way of life. It was a different life. life. And I often say, and now I often say that women now, housekeeping women with the families, they have everything and there's cares and there's all lovely clothes and there's all kinds of cookery things. And you know what? When it's all said and done, we had an easier life working hard because you hadn't to be keep up with all the, the pressure and you know everyone was the same and you had your you had your nourishing meals if you had a bit of lunch or you had potatoes and cabbage and turnip and all the vegetables and you had as I say the eggs and you had the chickens and you had the, the maybe turkeys and geese which man you know, you had better food in the long run. Yeah. You know what? I said, at that time, that last war, we were able to feed ourselves. But if a war came again, there's no, no home produce, sure. We've come to the end of this week's podcast, The Relationship with Potato Crop in Ireland. I hope you enjoyed listening to the sound clips that I selected from our website. And if you are interested in listening to any of those full-length interviews, you can do so by going to our website and using the search key by googling potato and all these names will come up. And by doing that, then you can download any of those recordings. You can also go back and listen to any of the podcasts that I've been producing over the years. 
And you'll find those on any platform by Googling Irish Life and Lore podcasts. Uh, my name is Maurice O'Keefe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.